saying the word confidence. Todd mentioned it like about 50 times. Uh, so, and, and the title of my message has got the word confidence in it, so there must be something going on there. All right, I'm going to read the text for this morning and then I'll pray for the preaching of God's word. Psalm 131, a song of a sense of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would help me this morning to convey, convey your, your text, your words, your, your desire for us to hear, Father God, this morning the truth of your message. And Father, I, I pray, Lord, that you would help me to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, everybody has or has experienced um, confidence in something. And when we have confidence in something, we react to that confidence or there's a, 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 a way we, we experience that confidence differently. For, for, for different things. So let me, let me give some examples. Uh, back in the 70s when, when I was growing up, um, my, my dad, my brother, and I, we would watch the NBA game in San Antonio, and the San Antonio team for the, at that time was, and still, is the San Antonio Spurs. And we used to love to watch George Gervin, the Iceman. This guy was really cool, and that's why they called him the Iceman. But anytime he got the ball, you know, we had confidence that he was going to score, you know. And if they, did, if they didn't give him the ball and somebody else shot and they missed, we'd, we'd, we'd just like, man, why didn't they give the ball to George Gervin? He can score, you know. That's what our confidence was in, you know. Uh, when we moved here, uh, NFL season would start up, and um, not every year, but most years, I could rely, I had confidence that I could go home on Sunday afternoon to watch the Broncos and fall asleep, take a nap. <laughs> you know? Hey. Uh, another example is uh, Dinah's chicken soup. Man, when she told me that she was going to make chicken soup, uh, I just had confidence that I was going to just have that nice hot soup running down my throat. I was going to feel so good. That was, that was my comfort food. You know, uh, another, another is, is after a long day or, or working hard in the yard, I knew that if when I laid down at night, my, my, uh, my bed and my pillow were so soft that I, was, I had confidence that I was going to fall asleep and have a good night's rest. You know, those are, those are the types of things that we have confidence in and the di different types of, of ways we experience those things. Well, David had confidence in God and, and that's why he called on everyone to hope in the Lord. To hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That's how, that's how, 
how strong his confidence was, his assurance was on hoping in the Lord. And he wanted everyone to know about it. We have confidence in a Savior through whom we have salvation and redemption to the Father, to the Heavenly Father. And like David, we are motivated to call on everyone to come to the Lord, to call upon his name, to have hope in that, to have hope in a Savior. Amen? Well, my title for this message, if you haven't guessed it yet, or if you didn't see it on the, the news bulletin, the, uh, the, the bulletin itself, is Confidence in a Savior. Let's see how such a little psalm, three, three verses, how a little psalm can be such a big challenge for us. So let's begin with point number one. Expressed humility. Expressed humility. Let me read Psalm 131, verse 1 again. It says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. What, what is it that David is trying to... What is he doing here? What is he doing? The psalmist who we're told is David, expresses his own case before the people. It's his testimony of who he was after God changed him and he learned to be satisfied with God alone. It was written to give the people an example and a hope. One of humble faith and confidence in the Lord who has put aside worldly ambition, put aside all the stuff of the world that's going on, and trust only in the Lord. That's what he was trying to communicate, what he was trying to get across to the people. And then, and then he says, hope in the Lord, everybody, from now forevermore. Well, let's, let's dissect this first verse a little and see what, what he's communicating. So the first part of the verse, it says, my heart is not lifted up. In the NIV, it says, my heart is not proud. My heart is not proud, which I think is an easier translation to understand or associate with. Uh, he's using a negative. Um, using a negative, he's, he's distinguishing himself from the proud, right? He's saying, I'm not a proud person. I'm not one who thinks of himself as a proud part person. My heart is not lifted up. Unlike the Pharisee in Luke 18, um, who although didn't call himself better, sure thought of himself as better than everyone else. Remember the, par the parable in the Pharisee of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Jesus was telling to some um, who, who thought of themselves as better. And they treated others with contempt. The Pharisee prayed this. He said, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Who, who is he speaking to? He surely thought highly of himself. How many of us can think highly of ourselves? Yeah. We might not say it out loud, or we might not 
say it in a prayer, uh, but, but maybe we're thinking it more than, than we'd like to admit. Man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I wouldn't treat my wife that way. Or, or how many have said this or thought this? My boss knows that if he, he would have to fill some big shoes if he had ever gotten rid of me. Who says that? <laughs> Being boastful, that's an area that I need much work at overcoming. Fortunately, I have a wife who has graciously pointed out when I'm being boastful. Unfortunately, I give her too many opportunities to serve me in that area. <laughs> it's an area that I have to work on. We, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that that's an area you need to work on, being boastful, talking a lot about yourself. Now, at first glance, it seems as though David is being boastful here as well. He's saying, God, I'm not, I'm not like those other people. I'm not, you know. But he's actually not. He's not being boastful. And we'll see why in just a little bit. Let me go on. The next, the next point are, is where he says, my eyes are not raised too high. Again, using the NIV, it says, my eyes are not haughty. My eyes are not haughty. I looked that up, haughty, because I didn't really know the, the definition. Haughty says, means arrogantly superior. Arrogantly superior. Now, arrogance is an expression of pride. By saying my eyes are not raised too high, he is meaning I don't have an overtly ambitious attitude over others. That's what he's saying. I don't have an overtly ambitious attitude over others. Notice the words I'm using here, overtly, right? Overtly ambitious. Another way of looking at eyes that are raised too high is a picture of a proud person who has moved up to take God's place from which he is then able to look down on other people. God is saying, I'm not taking the place of God looking down arrogantly at other people, which is, which is the only way that we would be able to look down on people if we were seated up high because of our sinful attitude. It's the only way. We would look down arrogantly on everyone else. Now, this, tied with the next part, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, indicate that his ambition... Is an, is, a, is an ordinary, harmless ambition. It, you know, it's okay to be ambitious so long as we're not harming or being harmful to others. Right? Sinful ambition, sinful ambition is where we try to get everything we can get for ourselves at whatever the cost and whoever we hurt. It doesn't matter. As long as I'm getting my way, as long as it's good for me, For our own glory, this, that's what our current culture promotes. You know, our own, our own way. Getting it done for me. You know, it, it's okay to strive for that promotion at your job. It's okay to work hard to earn a 4.0 and be the best in your class. Those are good ambitions. 
We should all have ambitions to do well, especially if we want to do well for God, to glorify Him. Those are great ambitions. David was humble. And he had an ambition to become king. And eventually he did become king at a time that was ordained by God. His kingship was God-ordained and in God's perfect plan and time for David's life. Here's what I mean. David had opportunities to become king earlier in his life, but he was content to wait on the Lord for his own ambitions. In 1 Samuel 24 and 26, we see examples of where David had opportunities to kill Saul, who was after him, but he chose not to. David and his men were on the run from Saul. And Saul had heard that David was uh, in a nearby wilderness, a nearby forest. So, David, or so Saul gathered up 3,000 men to go after David and his men. And they were, went, went out after him, and, and Saul came to a cave where he was going to take a rest, went into the cave, and that so happened to be the same cave that David and his men were in, very deep in the cave. And so David's men are telling him, hey, look, here's an opportunity. God has told you that you'll be able to, he's going he's to put it, your enemy into your hand so that you could do with, with him as you wish. But David said, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So see, he, he already knew that to strike this man that God had anointed to be king was wrong. So he didn't do it. Then again in chapter 26, another opportunity comes up. David had an opportunity to kill Saul and take his throne. Saul, with another 3,000 men, is out in the wilderness. He's sleeping in his camp. David goes down. He's standing over him. One of his, his helpers wants to kill him right then. And David says in verse 9, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? In verse 11, The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Again, so he's, he knows Saul is God's anointed. So he doesn't put out his hand against him. He doesn't kill him, which would have given him, him the throne at that time. So he honored the Lord's anointed. His ambition was to be king, and yet he trusted in the Lord for the fulfilling of his own ambitions. He said, I'm going to wait on God. God has perfect timing for my life, for the things, for the ambitions that I want. I'm praying to God. I'm asking him for these things, and God has perfect timing for those things. Now, what about this last part of verse 1? This, this part where, that reads, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Now, together with not being proud and, and haughty over, or overt, overtly ambitious, the implication is that occupying oneself with things that are too great and too marvelous, being busy trying to accomplish things beyond one's abilities is foolish. It's foolish. Another area where we can get ourselves into trouble 
with regards to occupying ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for me, is when we desire to know the secrets of, or we have to have, we have to know the mind of God. We just, we just have to, we won't be satisfied until we know what God's plan is for us. Does that describe you? You know, I just, I just have to know. I've got to know what's God's plan for me. I can't rest. Do you, do you find yourself fretting over what, what's next in your life? What does God plan to do in your life over the next year? Or the next month, even the next day. What, what's, what's tomorrow going to be like, God? Tell me. I can't rest until I know. Honey, you look terrible. What's up? Oh, I couldn't sleep last night. Really? Why? Why? Why not? Oh, because I was worried about today. Do, you, do we live like that? Some people can get so messed up and consumed with what tomorrow will bring, they miss out on what God has already brought today. Let me ask you, would you be more happy today if you knew that tomorrow was going to be a really bad day? (laughs) All right, let me turn that around. Would you be really sad today at 8 in the morning if you knew that tomorrow was going to be a really good day? Oh, man, tomorrow's going to be a great day, and today is only 8 o'clock. It just doesn't make sense. It gets us crazy. Deuteronomy 29.29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. In other words, if it's hidden from us, then it doesn't belong to us until it's revealed. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to fret over it. David's example here is a Someone who is humble, someone who relies on faith and confidence in the Lord. Ask yourself, are you someone who, is an, who has an ambition that, that tends to harm others in order to get your way? Think about it. Do, do I have ambitions that if I go after them, they're going to harm somebody? Are you busy trying to accomplish things that are beyond your abilities? Are you someone whose focus is on things out of reach and then gets angry at God when you don't get what you want because you feel like he's not not blessing you? He's not blessing me with the things that I desire. Is your relationship with God built on humble faith? and trust in his plan for your life? Or, or are you proud and, and with haughty eyes seeking to make it on your own? And that's what we're doing. We're trying to do it on our own. We're trying to make it on our own. I don't need God. I don't need to rely on someone else. I'm responsible for my own life. Is that what you're thinking? Or, or are you thinking, God is good. 
He's trustworthy. He's faithful. He loves me. He will not forsake me or leave me. I'm going to trust in his plan for my life. I don't need to know what it is right now. You know, there, there are people who you could clearly say they aren't proud and haughty. They aren't over, overtly ambitious. And life, for one reason or, or another, um, becomes very hard for them. And yet, despite difficult times, they're still glorifying God by their actions and their words. They'll admit it. Life's hard. They'll tell you, man, it's not easy. There are even days when they're really struggling, but you'll hear them say, I'm still trusting in God. I know his plan is good for me. I know it is. I'm just not seeing it right now, but that's okay. I know God's plan is there. I know he's for me. I don't know what it is, and that's okay. I can deal with that. I can, I can live with that as long as I know and trust in him. And we can do that. There was a young lady at the age of 17 who was at a party with friends. And she dives into a pool and she hits her head and breaks her neck. And she winds up paralyzed from the neck down. You know this person, Joni Erickson Tata? She is a wonderful voice that honors and glorifies her Savior. God has, has brought many people to, to himself through her, through her experiences, through her books, through her, uh, her talks. Wonderful person. Another person we know that hits real close to home, a, a sister of ours, Sandy Eckert. Recently, she was injured in a car accident. Broke bones in her right leg and her right wrist. Can you imagine breaking bones in your right leg and your right wrist? The things, if you're, she's right-handed. Oh, that's hard to imagine. And yet, I spoke with her the other day, and she told, she told me, you know, things can look bleak, but I know God's got a good plan for me. I know he's got a good plan. I don't know what it is, but that's okay. She was saying this out loud on the phone to me. God is good. <laughs> You're sitting in a hospital bed. You can't get up. You can't do things for yourself. And she's saying to me, God is good. He's got a good plan. I don't know what it is, but I know it's good. I know it's good for me. Man, that, that is faith. That is faith. Trusting and having confidence in her God. Like I said earlier, it would seem like David is being boastful. Oh Lord, my heart is not filled up. My eyes are, are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And if he had gone on and, and said, why can't I have the things that I want? Why isn't my life better? 
Why aren't I rich and wealthy beyond my wildest dreams? I do everything you ask of me. I live right. I don't have haughty eyes. I don't go after things that are too great and too marvelous. Hey, everybody, look at me. Don't I deserve the good things in life? If you had said something like that, then yes, you could say, that guy's being pretty boastful because his focus is on himself and not on on trusting God. His his confidence is in himself and his his own abilities and not in God. But, But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says in the next verse, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul. These, these eight words say a whole lot about David's character. So let's take a look at that next, point number two, a quieted soul. So verse two, which comes right after verse one, he says this, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Okay, so by beginning verse 2 with the words, but I have, but I have, David is implying that although his soul is calm and quiet now, it wasn't before. It wasn't before. I have calmed, right? So it wasn't before, and it took some work to get it that way calm, and quieted. Who here can say, I was born with a calm and quieted soul? (laughs) I guarantee you, if any of us can, can claim to have a calm and quieted soul now, we would definitely say it wasn't calm and quiet before. There are people with calm and quieted souls. You can recognize them quickly because they're trusting in God. They're believing in that God is for them and God, God loves them and provides for them and cares for them. It took some work to get to where David was able to say, my soul is calm and quiet. But I have calmed, I have calmed that which wasn't calm before. I have quieted that which wasn't quieted before. And and what is it that is calmed and quieted? His soul, which which implies a faith and trust in God. When your soul is calm and quiet, you're trusting God. When your soul is calm and quiet, you're trusting in God. You're demonstrating faith in God who has a perfect plan for your life. God, the creator of the universe, created you, and along with everything that you are, he created a perfect plan for your life. Why? To glorify himself. To glorify himself. Now, to clarify what he means by a calm and quieted soul, David makes a comparison to a weaned child. The comparison of a weaned child is meant to illustrate 
the kind of quiet, secure, and safe trust that a child has with its mother. Like a weaned child with its mother, that's what my soul is like. Safe and secure. David's trust in God is so secure that his soul is calm and quiet. Jesus modeled this for us so perfectly in the Garden of Gethsemane when he calmed and quieted himself by trusting in the Father's will completely. Do you remember? He had taken Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Olives where he's going to pray, and he asked them to wait and pray with him, and he went down a little further. He was very distressed about what was about to happen, and that's when he prayed this. In Luke 22, verse 24, it says, Father, you are willing, no, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He had a calm and quieted soul. Enough that he trusted in his father to say, nevertheless, not my will. He knew what he was going to go through. He knew the pain and suffering that he was going to have to to go through. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but your will. Now, while we'll never be in a situation comparable to what Jesus went through, we may go through times that stretch us to the limits. Stretch us to the limits of our capabilities and our understanding of what's going on. Why do I have this illness, Father? Why do I have a broken leg and a broken wrist at the same time? Why did I even have to have this accident? Why? why? We ask those questions simply because we want to understand. But we too can calm and quiet our souls if we follow Jesus' example and trust wholly and completely in our Heavenly Father. David's soul is calm and quiet because he trusts in God. And he wants his community, his audience, to know that faith. So he ends his song with this. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He's telling them, hope in the Lord who is able to comfort you, who is able to care for you and provide for you, who will never leave you or forsake you. He said, take my example. Leave the proud and haughty eyes to others. Calm and quiet your soul and trust in God from now on and forevermore. (laughs) Psalm 131 is about humble trust in God. Psalm 31 is about humble trust in God. This is a psalm that we should go to often. It's short. We can read it. We can memorize it. 
We can know it in our hearts. We look at it daily and know that this is the way to, to humbly trust in God. So Donna, let's, let's tie this to someone who was a perfect example of faithful, humble trust in God who showed us how to live and walk in a manner worthy to be called a child of God. Someone who sacrificed his life so that we could have everlasting life. Someone who we can, we can have confidence in because he was victorious over death and made a way for us. Right? Someone who now stands as our advocate, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and who has been given all authority over all things. where our trust is safe and secure. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, giver of life, our Savior. For my third point and final point, confidence in a Savior. Same as the title for my message. While David's example is a good one to follow and one that we should follow often and daily, what tends to happen when we try to do anything on our own strength is that we fail, right? We fail. It's just, that's just the truth of it. History showed that David, he, he too, wasn't always successful. And what generally happens when we fail is we get discouraged. All too often we stop trying and we lose hope. Or our, our focus begins to then become misplaced. Our, our focus becomes more on, on how we're doing it rather than why we're doing it. Even now, some of you have already forgotten and you're thinking, what was it we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> Putting our trust completely in God for our whole life. But when our confidence is placed in ourselves to be faithful and trust in God, then if we're doing it all on our own, then we're doomed. We're, we're doomed to failure because everything, including Satan, is against us. So what are we to do? Well, if you've confessed your life to Jesus and asked him to come into your heart and become your Lord and Savior, then you, you can already claim victory because he was victorious for us. And he has now imputed his success over to us when the Father declared us justified. When we made that confession of faith. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For, for those who believe in Jesus Christ according to his great mercy are given everlasting life. Think about that. You know it. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wow. 
What a gift. And in addition to salvation, God the Father has sent us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to keep us and teach us to become more like Christ until that day when we're called to heaven. Because of a confidence in the Savior who is able to offer redemption, because of his sacrifice on the cross, we will not be lost or forsaken. And the knowledge of and ability to trust in God for every part of our life will become clearer and easier with each passing day. There will be trials. There will be tribulation because we still live in a fallen world, but in the end, we will gather in His presence singing a new song. Revelation 14, 2 and 3 says, I, I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of louder, loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne. They were gathered singing. What a time. What a time that will be. But for those who don't know Jesus, for those who haven't confessed that he is their Lord and Savior, they will, leave, they will be left behind and be thrown into a lake of fire for all eternity. It says that. Revelation 20, 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a hard truth. Don't be left behind. You have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ today. You have heard the truth. It's up to you to respond. We can't make you. We can't, we can't force you to do anything. We can only lead you to the cross and tell you about Jesus Christ. It's now up to you. As the band comes up, let me, let me close with these thoughts. At the beginning of, of this morning's message, I said, let's see how such a little psalm can be such a, a big challenge. Well, the reason it's such a challenge for all of us is because without, without the special gifting that was given to David by God, none of us would be able to attain a humble faith to trust in God completely and without fail. However, when we have confidence in a Savior who was fully successful in trusting God on our behalf, then our ability to calm and quiet our souls becomes or comes from a, a gratefulness and a desire to please our Lord. Our joy in salvation is, is what we will sing loud for all to hear from now and forevermore. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let, let's sing that song now and then I'll pray.
you can stand. What gift of grace is Jesus?